0: Hello, welcome back to Anime on the Sea of Sky. Sorry there's been a bit of a gap lately. There have been a couple of things that have been popping up, as well as uh, some technical issues and difficulties that have been kind of inhibiting me lining up a couple of episodes, even though at least I was finally able to get a schedule going. But at least until now, this will be probably a shorter one just to kind of line up and get myself uh, something out of the way and out to you. But at least for now, there is a really good chunk of stuff that's been popping up, especially considering that uh, through Country Crunchyroll Re- Expo and the handful of The final cons in the middle of con season that are going to be finishing up in the rest of August i have been giving us a couple of anime announcements, um, well, related and otherwise, but I guess to start, so I love sports anime and sport-centric shows, because there is one that is strictly, like, set out onto the sport, where it's mostly about the spectacle, and ones that are allowed to actually get you involved in more of the moment and the hype for the rest of it, you know, say Kurokoto Basket, say Hajime no Ippo, and then there's sports anime that are a lot more character dramas where you can more empathize with them rather than the sport to get you more invested in the show. And so for that, I would go for something more like Furu and Ping Pong the Animation. And the one that I have still not dipped my toes into just yet, which is finally going to be getting its final piece of the puzzle, its final addition to its animated series now that the manga has already been done and completed, is Haikyuu. Now, They've slated and they've announced that they're going to get two final films lining up that is going to be set sometime either late 23 or early 24. The only thing that's guaranteed is that the new stage play project relating to the anime is actually going to be lined up for a project in 2023. So... It's definitely one of those where I don't know if it's more spectacle or if it's more character-driven. And a lot of people say it's both, and a lot of them say it's their favorite uh, sports show of all time, anime-wise. And the only thing I was curious about was that I knew that there were four seasons of the show, but I didn't know if the fourth season was the final piece or if there was going to be supplementary or a final piece of content. So now at this point, we've gotten an official announcement saying that this is going to be the final piece of the animated puzzle. Uh, the problem for me is that I also heard rumors that instead of getting two films, it's going to be, like, a season of 13 episodes and then a film. The film's guaranteed, but from the comments that I saw of people reacting to this final announcement, it just seemed like there is not even close to enough time within a two-film span to adapt the rest of the volumes that have not been yet adapted uh, from the manga, but... I don't know I'll I'll kind of see how that lines up it definitely makes a lot more sense based on the amount of volumes or the amount of content that's still left over that a season and a movie would probably be the right way to cap it off but at that point who knows one that I'm also kind of curious about but what looks like it's mostly going to be picked up again by JC staff for its third season is that we finally got an official announcement for one punch man season 3 so I've been really hyped as of late with the manga considering that garo and saitama and the rest of the class a and the heroes association have been in the middle of this conflict that has been just escalating to even grander and grander scales with you know Murata just bringing his absolute gay game every single time that he ends up lining up a new chapter and even to a point where the manga was going in a specific direction and i because it's it's already like uh, diverged from uh, like the original manga done by one, but there was an entirely different result and a different conflict that was going to be between Garu and Saitama that ended with a fantastic panel that looked like it was something from A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy like just at the ends of the earth, but I don't know if it was due to backlash or if it was just something that Murata wanted to do on his own, and then he had something else lined up in mind. But at this point, he ended up diverging and changing the story again afterwards. And so I don't know how long, considering that it's been like four or five years that this one arc specifically inside of Murata's manga has actually been going on and how much that's going to take. I would actually have to double check to see how many chapters actually lined up because the chapters were definitely few and far between. It was either monthly or bimonthly it was incredibly hype, especially with the most recent stuff that ended up in the climax during the fights, but whether or not the third season is going to be lining up and how far they actually get themselves into this adaptation is going to be curious. I know that more more likely it's just going to be JC Staff who's going to be bringing back their team and kind of doing the same thing that they did for One Punch Man Season 2, and that's going to be carrying over to the third, which is probably why this announcement isn't going to get as much hype as people were expecting considering that this is going to be concluding Garo's hero hunter arc but what essentially they're going to be lining up afterwards is that people just like me myself included just really jumped on to Madhouse's old team and I definitely understand that there's not really much you can do the anime industry has a lot of like working pieces and time is always an issue regardless of the studio that gets involved whatever project but yeah, it just, like everybody says before, it's understandable. Like, One Punch Band is a fantastic gateway to get things uh, open and bring people into the medium. But I would imagine there would, there would be a couple of people disappointed as to what exactly happened in the second season. And moving forward, with the panels that I've seen in Murata's art from from like the most recent arcs, I just don't think that JC Staff is going to be like up to snuff and actually going to be able to adapt it to its fullest potential, just like Season 1 was able to do. And then I guess a more low-key uh, second season adaptation is going to be Surune, uh which was done by Kyoto Animation, and it's a small, like, low-stakes series based on Japanese archery, and so not a lot really happened. It's fucking gorgeous, because of course it is, it's Kyoto Animation, and they bring a lot of passion in all the projects that they work on, but it was definitely, like, one of the most middling ones, because I didn't really... Connect too much with any of the characters. I did think that it provides a like fresh spin on a very traditional Japanese sport, but not a lot to take here in a plethora to like for the rest of uh, Kyoto Animation's works as a whole. So it's not necessarily one that I would recommend to people specifically, unless they were like, okay, so if you want a very very Japanese centric anime based on something that is more lined in tradition that also has a little bit of a sports edge, I would basically point them towards this or Chihayafuru. But this for the shorter end considering that i believe there's only been one season in a movie where we're going to be getting a second season and Chihayafuru i believe is now sitting on about 78 episodes. So that's a little bit more but honestly considering i believe Chihayafuru's manga is recently coming to an end which i haven't necessarily caught up on in about 5 or 6 years even though i really enjoyed it and i completely adored the third season. So i'm just going to I'm more curious to see what happens with Chihayafuru and their team than it is about uh, this sport in particular. Now, in terms of studios as well that i at least have a bit of a passionate stake towards it's just that the only reason i would ever be giving cyberpunk edge runner any kind of a chance or any part in the time of day it's because it's being done by studio trigger and at the very least this is going to be bombastic it's going to be dynamic the action itself i would imagine is just going to be popping right out of the screen and regardless because at least what cyberpunk Even though I never did play it, all the things that I did hear about the game besides the, like, riddling bugs and the, like, narrow minds inside of Night City is just that there were still stories to be told in there, and the music and the atmosphere is something that was still able to be heavily rooted inside of its world, and it did a fantastic job bringing people into that as a whole. So, regardless, I guess, yeah, why exactly am I talking about it? Well, it officially got an announcement on its release date, and it's going to be popping out on U.S. Netflix on September 13th. The fact that this is going to be something that is probably going to be a really interesting intro, because I would more call this um, something that will line up more uh, into the fall season than it does in the uh, summer season, considering how close it is going to be, like, in between that transitionary period, because at least it's the last week of September and the first week of October that normally... Uh, the season start and I'm pretty sure because it's Netflix they should just dump it all out in one batch instead of doing it weekly but I'm really curious to see how that's going to be lining up and honestly the next not really trigger show but trigger centric show that was done by Studio Gynax way back in the day which is also something that's going to be on my list very very soon is definitely going to be Panty and Stalking after I'm done with Hilda, Owl House, and Fire Emblem 6 which are all going to get their respective episodes. That's honestly something that now that I'm almost done and completed them, that'll give me more than enough time to talk about stuff that's anime-related, but also with uh, content that I extremely enjoy. Now, a movie that I'm still hesitant on to go see, it's definitely one of those where it'll be fantastic with, like, a beer and a buddy. Because, I don't know, it definitely seems to be that kind of energy, especially with the energy that I saw out of Broly, but Dragon Ball Super, superhero, which I don't know why they couldn't just combine those two titles, but you know what, it's Japan, Uh, it ended up getting the third highest grossing opening uh, for an anime film inside of North America. And so Dragon Ball Super ended up opening up with a weekend of $20 And the only two movies to be ahead of that would have been Demon Slayer's first film, which had opened with 21. And the fact that this still holds the record, which definitely gives a perspective on how fucking big this was back in the day, is that the highest grossing opening of an anime film in North America was Pokemon, the first movie back in 1999. And I don't, I can't tell if it's with inflation, but regardless, in that weekend, it made 31 million US, which is absolutely insane. But to be fair... This definitely seems like those, even though I haven't necessarily caught up on the Buu saga in terms of Dragon Ball in general, those who are Gohan stands are definitely going to be apparently having a good time with this, and so I'm really curious to see if I actually am able to find the time, but this is definitely not going to be as limited a release as most. Whenever it comes to uh, shonen films or shonen anime films that get released out in the west, they definitely get more than enough time to shine and more than enough screenings over the course of like two to four weeks to actually have its own stay inside of the theaters which in comparison to another movie that i ended up watching a couple of nights ago called Inuo, that only got like five or six days and when i say limited screenings i mean like one screening one or two screenings a day for five days over the course of the entire fucking country and i'm like god damn it i understand not a lot of people know Masaki Iwasa. I would imagine the first time anybody heard of him or any of his projects was that when he made a splash on Netflix with Double Man Cry Baby. I could totally see that being uh, people's first like introduction to him, and it would be incredibly off-putting based on not only his style, but his hyper-violence and the kind of worlds that he tends to create. But honestly, like Masaki Iwasa is easily one of my favorite directors inside of the world of anime right <laughs> currently, as well as Sai is always consistently striving to make something new and different inside of a very homogenized industry like in terms of anime so even though i'm still like kind of hesitant on yura deko that's popping up this season it's still like different and has a kind of energy that you rarely see inside of anime so i'm still having a decent enough time with it to keep on watching it until the end but yeah Dragon Ball Super, in this case, is definitely something that I'm going to think about watching, but at least instead of Inuo, where I only have a very small window in order to find myself some time to go to the theater, I would imagine I'm going to give myself a little bit of leeway to actually find a good time to go through and give this a watch. And then I guess the last movie that finally ended up getting an official date, which I believe I've talked about before, but is also something that I don't really... Yeah, it's kind of one that I'm not really, like, too hyped about. It's just interesting for the people that are involved inside the cast, and that's going to be Goodbye Don Glees, and so that is going to be screening on September 14th and 20th inside of a couple of handful of theaters inside the U.S. and hopefully Canada, and so there's not really much I can say about it where it is Studio Madhouse, so that's kind of what I'm curious about. It seems to be an adventure movie, something about self-discovery, something about the friends you meet along the way, and kind of seeing how those relationships grow as with the people that encounter them. It's definitely something where it's like, Madhouse is a fantastic studio, but it's not a studio that I would immediately look at and be like, okay, I have to go watch it regardless of what content it is. Although the one thing that is going to bring me into the fold that is also going to be something that I just realized garners quite a bit of interest from me, is that it's going to be directed by Atsuko Ishizuka. And they, most recently, their uh, latest directing work, which honestly has been... It's been so long since I've actually been able to catch up on the show and give it a rewatch, but it was A Place Further Than the Universe. And that was easily one of, if not my favorite show, from 2018. And Pet Girl of Sakuroso, which they also directed that was fine um I watched no game no life but Ishizuka ended up doing the movie adaptation which was no game no life zero which I didn't go to see considering that I've kind of like fallen off on that for a bit but I'm kind of curious to see what Ishizuka is going to be able to bring to the table because not only are they going to be directing it but they also pen the script So they are going to be the front-runner of this movie through and through, and I'm really curious to see that, after all this time in between, how this movie is going to be lining up with their previous works. And I guess the more hilarious... (laughs) Uh, Something... Because at some point in time this year, either in November or December, uh, Yuru Camp is probably going to get its film uh, coming out west. Considering with the popularity that it was able to garner, it ended up coming out in Japan either May or June. So definitely within a six-month time frame, that should be more than enough of a turnaround for either G Kids or Eleven Arts to get that out the door and have it the opportunity to distribute that worldwide. But we're not talking about Yuru Camp. We're talking about. Uh, well, actually, no. Yuru Camp, Heia Camp, and now we've got Harem Camp. So, erotic manga. I'm really kidding. It's, it, I don't know. It, it's just so hilarious to kind of, like, see some kind of pornographic content related to something that is, like, of course, ev- there that is a genre of porn, and that is definitely still something that people will actually go and, like, use as a backdrop for a scene to actually have the deed done, but the fact that In the middle of the year that uh, Yuru Camp ended up getting not only a short, but an entire film, in the middle of production, somebody ended up picking it up. It's like, hey, you know what? Let's just do that, but (laughs) let's just do that with a little bit more spice, a little bit more danger. And it's like, oh my god. It's... uh, Oh god, what is the uh, studio that's doing it? Because they are not a mainline, and it's not necessarily one... Like, there is a director, there is... There are people who are still penning it that still did a couple of arrow games like lining up in the middle of it. And so you've got Studio Mouse, which is a hot night with my paws in a capsuling hotel. They did second keyframes for Mach and Key. Like, this is just so there's what is it? So there's going to be an on-air censored version, and then there's going to be a premium version that is going to be heading out to the internet at some point. So that's honestly going to be kind of ridiculous and it it just gave me a good chuckle to kind of like line up to see oh my goodness porn imitates art i guess (laughs) i have no idea how to line that up but it's it's you know what at some point i'm gonna give it a watch so speaking of that movie that i did end up having a very limited time to actually have the opportunity to go see it is something that i walked into with nary a thing or nary an idea to kind of like figure out what the story was going to be how that was going to line up there were only two names attached to it, which was, you know, Saru and Masaki Yuasa. And that's all essentially I need, considering that I know that regardless of what Yuasa ends up directing, I know that... It's going to be a trip. <laughs> I'm never going to be bored with any of this man's works, whether it's introspective like Kaiba, whether it's hyper violence like Devilman Crybaby, whether it's ping pong, the animation that gives like one of the greatest character-driven sports studies inside of the medium in general, or if it's a water-laden romance like Ride Your Wave. So there is honestly nothing that this man can do that's going to make you bored, regardless inside of the theater. So. When I ended up going to see this, that's basically all I had going for me, which is which I'm also kind of glad to see how quick the turnaround on what this show was, considering that it did end up having its uh, film debut in the Venice Film Festival, of all places back in September of 2021, and in Japan it had its official release date in May 20 uh, or May 28th. So now. Considering that was a pretty quick turnaround, but I would imagine because they already did like an international release for it I was really curious to see how this was going to line up what I'm really glad that I ended up doing before watching Inuo So I had any kind of context for what was going on inside of this film Which is definitely going to be the one caveat the one huge asterisk about this film is that a lot of it is based on the aftermath of the collapse of the Heike regime and the aftermath and the fallout of how that entire piece ends up lining up and what the grand scale of Japan looks like, not only with uh, collective art, but with music as well, specifically related to the Biwa. And the Biwa played a ridiculously important role in terms of Heike Monogatari, which was also done at Science Saru, but in this case, it was directed by uh, Yamada Naoko. And she did a fantastic job bridging the gap and like creating this specific story on the rise and inevitable downfall of the Heike regime and how the rest of the family ended up turning away either from their family, from life, or just from the country in general. And so because I was able to watch that show, which is only 12 episodes, I definitely give it a recommendation. Um, But because of that, I knew of the major Uh, pieces and events that a lot of this film was referencing and so at least I had a general idea of like why these specific regalia were important and why all the stories were being hesitant to be told in the first place and how anybody would be incredibly concerned or scared about how the new scale or the new face of Japan was going to be looking like and at the very least I had a blast with this film like you have absolutely no idea what you're walking into like especially with how ridiculously jarring the first couple of minutes in this film are and so you see how the majority of the people have been living inside of this exile how everybody has been adapting and what the scope of the cultural arts whether it's music or it's dance and especially the control that the genji like the heike before them want to make things stable want to make things monotonous and they want it to be safe in that well not for their subjects but they want to keep the name of the genji clan safe they want everything to be the same they want it to be under their rule you don't want to to welcome too much change because the change will lead to the masses and the masses will think that things need to change and when they need to change that means the old come goes out for the new and the clan that they already ended up like moving away from which in this case was the Heike they do not want another rebellion like that to happen and so for the first half of this film it is kind of like a spiritual successor and a follow-up to the Heike Monogatari in the sense that we get to see how our two main characters are essentially growing up and living their lives how one is cursed and one is blind and considering that they're able to meet each other on equal terms not, well, not necessarily equal terms, but they're able to meet each other on level, on a level field. So everybody that Inuo has seen has just degraded him as a monster because he is. He's cursed, elongated limbs, always has to wear a mask because of how disfigured his face is. And so meeting somebody like Tomona who is blind after an accident with a regalia happened to him when he was a young boy that not only did that, but also killed his father and gave him a connection to the afterlife. In this case, he can just talk with him and just appreciate that, oh, you're a Biwa player? Yeah, can you play it? Of fucking course I can. And so their energies like just meld together in such a natural way. And so of course they become friends um, or at least friends for the time. And they move for the rest of it, considering that Tomina continues to play the Biwa with this blind uh, troop of uh, players that move across the country. And Inuo essentially just still continues to try and dance and live up to uh, the troop that he's been a part of, considering that the troop um, is his father and how he runs it, and that it has been slowly and slowly just losing traction and being faded into obscurity. And then the halfway point hits inside of this film, and it turns into a fucking Live Aid concert. <laughs> like, it, it seemed like Masaki Iwasa was seeing the production behind the scenes of the Heike Monogatari and seeing what everybody was drawing and how the story was lining out and, and having conversations with uh, Yamada Naoko and kind of seeing how that goes. And then just one night, I would imagine after one drunk stupor, he watches the entire Live Aid concert all the way through and just that idea i could totally imagine just popping into his head being like okay i need to go to the producers with this how about we make a spiritual successor to heike monogatari but then it's going to be basically a rock opera (laughs) for the other half of it and so like the music starts about halfway through the film and that is like 30 of the next 40 minutes that you are going to be like going through it's just it's the setup it's the payoff It's essentially how they're able to go through and basically remove Ino O's curse through music and dance. And that's honestly just one of my favorite pieces of media in general. Whatever music is a focus and the editing is so in tune with the rest of it that essentially the movie itself becomes a self-imposed music video to kind of bring everybody into the energy and have like all the editing lineups, something incredibly similar to like an Edgar Wright film. And so lining up that film just having it become this concert for the last half of the movie was just I, like my entire experience was just like me stomping my foot to the beat not essentially like lining up and doing a lot of clapping like everybody inside the Live Aid concert or any of the peasants that were lining up across the bridge just to see all these performance happening between Inuo and Tomina it's a fantastic spectacle through and through it was definitely something that was an absolutely fantastic film to kind of like bring me into that and the fact that I had absolutely like no idea what this film was going into it was just so I don't know it it was it's one of those things like especially with um everything everywhere all at once it's very rare nowadays for you to go into any piece of media and not have any expectation for it because it was either written by this group or it's done by this director with this actor with this company with this production with this style with this adaptation with this being original with this production studio being a lot more like freelance in terms of like bringing in all these new ideas there's so many different pieces inside of the cultural zeitgeist where nothing you can watch very rarely like 99 of the things that you watch you will always have a bias going into it you will always have a preconceived notion whether it would be you know, somebody's opinion that, you know, or somebody else like lining up and kind of like not giving it the time of day, which would all which based on what you know that they've seen and what they enjoy and what they watch speaks like volumes more than what they said could ever do. But Inoua was definitely one of those where it was just kind of like, yeah, I I did have a little bit of bias because the only reason I walked into that theater in the first place was because it was Masaki Wasai. Anything that man touches becomes like one of the more entertaining experiences that I can have inside of like watching a show or a movie or just anything in general. So the fact that this was still more than enough an experience that I was able to go in relatively blind and just have the opportunity to go through, which unfortunately didn't seem like it do too well at the box office in Japan. On top of the fact that when I went to go see it, even though it, it was on a Wednesday night, so it wasn't opening, I mean, when I looked at the tickets that were popping up on Friday inside of Vancouver, it looked like it was packed. So at least on the opening nights in the theaters that I was in, it seemed like it had enough people going in to have the opportunity to watch it. But then as it trickled out, and the people who honestly yeah it, it's definitely not one of the ones like especially with dragon ball or any other pre-existing uh property that there would have been people like going to see it because it has this name attached to it it's masaki Iwasa had that clout with Delman man cry baby but nowadays especially with the fact that he's now like taking more and more breaks which de- is definitely understandable because this man has been like consistently going non-stop whether animating or writing or directing for the past 25 years like, he's, like, he deserves a bit of rest because now he's got Science Saru. Now he's got Anyung Choi, who I believe is the the major producer inside of it. And the fact that now names like uh, Yamada Naoko are coming into Science Saru and, like, providing their talents for the first time in ages to actually give a little bit of variety inside of Science Saru's doors is honestly something nice to see and like a good outlook for the future of the studio, as long as they can find themselves with the next successes to actually keep them afloat and actually keep them above water. So, I don't know. It was definitely something that, oh is one of those films where it definitely seemed like it was like solely up my alley where not only was it from a director that I enjoyed with a as a spiritual successor to a show that I had already seen but then to top it all off it was a fucking rock opera for 40 minutes straight and got me to be heavily invested in the show based on all of the musical ent- entitlement based on all the musical entanglement that I was able to bring it not only to the characters but to the story as a whole it was honestly like one of the more engaging and fun watches that I was able to go through and actually experience lining up and whether or not this is going to be better than dragon ball super i'm gonna say i'm gonna give this one the benefit of the doubt and say that it's probably going to be the better one that i see this month because there's still going to be more than enough opportunities for movies that are still there are some have announced dates and some don't because at this point dragon ball super is just hitting it this weekend and then come September, we're basically going to be getting Goodbye, Don Glees. We're going to be getting Drifting Home, which was done by the same director as Penguin Highway. And then the Tatami Summertime Blues, which I believe is going to be split up as like a set of OVAs online, as well as a film that is going to be debuting on Disney Plus, I believe. So that's going to be tough to get into it. And then by the end of the year, some point between October and December, we are both going to be getting the Eurocamp film as well as Odd Taxi in the Woods, which is, I am really curious to see how both of those go. Well, I'm not really too curious about Eurocamp. It's going to be more Eurocamp, which I'm definitely going to be enjoying. But to see how they're going to expand upon and continue with the story of Odd Taxi in the Woods. That's the one that I'm really going to be curious to see how the rest of it. And then I could imagine with the films that I'm going to be able to see by the end of the year, there's more than enough room for a few surprises in between. So yeah, sorry about this being a shorter episode, technical difficulties and the like, at least, but I do have a lot of good opportunities and a lot of good ideas and a lot of good uh, pieces lined up, especially for the fact that we are less than six weeks away from the fall anime season completely and utterly, you know, just destroying every other viewing record under the sun so i'm really curious to see how that's going to be lining up and i'm going to see what i'm going to be able to do and probably hopefully bring the guys back on to have a more in-depth experience and kind of see where exactly we're going to be watching so uh yeah cheers